Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, we'll be reading. And if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. You, just as you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb at the day of the assembly when you said, let me not again hear the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. The Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will rise up for them, raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command them, the word of God. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you as a people who need your word. We live in a world that is, has a famine for hearing and knowing the word of God. Though we are inundated um, with literature and the internet and Bibles and all of these things, Father, our nation is starving. Our world is starving to know God. Father, I thank you that you are a God because of your great mercy and love, because of your loving kindness and your compassion. Did not leave us in the justice of our sin and punishment, but sent Christ who loved the Lord with all his heart and soul, his mind, and his neighbor as himself, and who laid down his life as a spotless sacrifice, as a substitution for our sin. Father, I pray that the truth of the gospel would guide us and direct us, would comfort us and convict us, would draw us away from the world and the ways of the world and close to the heart of our Savior of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your work that you're doing in the hearts of our congregation, in the hearts of our family, in the hearts uh, of the church. Lord, I pray that we would trust your heart and cast our cares upon you for you care for us. For physical ailments, for financial lack, for spiritual apathy, for, um, for the sin that so easily entangles us. Father, may we run to Jesus, knowing his arms are strong, his um, burden is light, and his grace is overwhelming. For we have a good, good Savior. Father, glorify yourself in us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to love you. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I got word this morning, uh, very sad news, that my lapel mic has gone to be with the Lord. Um, uh, she was on her last leg last week. We knew we didn't have a lot of time le uh, left, but uh, Steve said, 
She's no longer with us. So until I get a new one, I'll be anchored right here. Um, just as a, a um, disclosure, today's sermon will be a little different than I normally do. Typically, we work, we work through a book, a book, we're anchored in a text, we break that text down with big idea, how does it apply? But during Christmas, these next three weeks of Advent, what I want to do is I really want to do a, um, a 30,000 foot view of um, a particular topic, the offices of Christ and what Jesus is doing. And so uh, as you see behind me, we see our Advent series is Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Because we know Jesus died for our sin. We know Jesus is our savior. We need to know we have trust Jesus. But how does Jesus work in our hearts? How does Jesus um, serve and love and care for his people? How does he guide us? How does he care for us? Well, I want to, to look this morning that Jesus is our prophet. You'll see in the bulletin that Jesus is the prophet that shows us the way. I think I titled that. I titled it on Monday. Um, but I want to give you my big idea up front, and then I want to break it down as we go. Uh, Andrew, if you would go ahead, you're going to have to advance the slides because I don't have the um, I don't have the um, the fob. That's why it's not working at all. Uh, I think the key fob is on my desk. Uh, but my big idea is this. Thank you, Anna. That that girl. That's a good girl right there. Um, Jesus is the prophet, the prophet who fully and finally declares the truth and the glory of God. Jesus is the prophet who fully and finally declares the truth and glory of God. Charles Hodge, a theologian that I read this week, and his quote will be coming up shortly behind me, it says this, we as fallen men, ig there it is, ignorant, guilty, polluted, and helpless, you're like, wow, uh, he did not have a life uh, as a Hallmark card writer, um, but as ignorant, pol guilty, polluted, and helpless, we need a Savior who is, and you'll notice, prophet, priest, and king. A prophet who instructs us. A priest to, um, to atone for our sin and make intercession for us, pray for us. And we need a king to rule over us and protect us. We need a prophet, a priest, and a king. And why do we need that? Why do we need Jesus to actively be doing these things in our life? We need um, a prophet because we are blind to the truth and to the ways of God on our own. We need a prophet to declare the way of God. We are sinful and guilty before a holy God. We need a priest to make peace for us. We are captive to the sin that reigns over us. We need a king to deliver us and to protect us. And brothers and sisters, over the next three weeks, we are going to see that we have a prophet, that we have a priest, and we have a king. We have the greatest prophet. We have the greatest priest. We have the greatest king, and his name is Jesus. 
But this week, as we begin, we have to ask the question, what is a prophet? Um, All of us maybe come from different traditions and different theological backgrounds, and maybe we just don't really know, but we've seen people that claim to be prophets. Some of them are little crackpots. Some seem legit. Uh, We want to know what that is. And often a, a misconception of the biblical understanding of a prophet is some sort of soothsayer or a fortune teller who tells the future of individuals. In the Old Testament, uh, when we think of the prophets or prophecy, we often immediately think of telling the future. Well, quite frankly, there is prophets who do that, but it's a very, very small amount of the Old Testament that um, tells us what the Lord will be doing in the future. In the Old Testament, A prophet, and here's my definition, is the mouthpiece of God. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God who declares, as we see throughout Scripture, thus saith the Lord. Now, the prophets would say that and um, how God has revealed his way. Um, how uh, prophets call the people of God uh, who were wayward back to the truth of God, to God's way. The prophets who declared the truth of God. This is the truth. This is who God revealed himself. But they also exposed the error and the false teaching and the falsehood of the people of God. And they opposed the false prophets of God. Think Elijah and the false priests of Baal. Even in, I believe, the book of Jeremiah uh, or, or Ezekiel, there were false prophets who were speaking on behalf of Yahweh. And Ezekiel said, Don't believe them. They're lying to you and they're leading you away from the the truth of God. We have to understand prophets in the Old Testament were both teachers and they were prosecuting attorneys, if you will. They were teachers in the fact that they delivered God's way and God's truth and revealed God's glory to his people, a.k.a. the law. And if you immediately think of the great prophet in the Old Testament, your mind probably comes to Moses, who wrote the first five books under the, um, the movement of the Spirit. God spoke to Moses. You can read the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, written by Moses under the authority of the Holy Spirit, but 34 times in the book of, uh, or the five books of the Pentateuch, it said, God spoke to Moses. And we often gloss right over that, oh, what did God say? But we realize that God, through the mouthpiece of his prophet, was speaking to his people, and the people wanted it that way. They feared to stand before God, so they said, Moses, you go to the top of the mountain, to those flames and the clouds and the lightning. You find out what God wants and what God says and how God calls us to live, and you come down and tell us. You can see... In Exodus chapter 20, where the um, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are, it says, God revealed to Moses, and Moses revealed to the people, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is what I have done. Therefore, 
since well, I have done this, this is how you should live. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make your, for yourself a carved image. And eight others of the Ten Commandments, God revealed this to Moses. The Moses were, uh, I'm sorry, the prophets were empowered by the Spirit to teach the law of God and the truth of God to the people. His judgments and his deliverances, his curses and his blessings. Prophets taught us the way of God. They were teachers. But they were also prosecuting attorneys, if you will. As you go and read the later prophets, the weeping prophet Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they said, you know the law of God. But you have not fulfilled the law of God and actually you have committed these sins and you have gone against God. And they were like prosecuting attorneys in the courtroom. The, the, the jury was the heavens, all of creation. The judge was God. The prophet was the prosecuting attorney who laid forth the sins of the people. We can see this in the first chapter of Isaiah, and you could read through all of the courtroom transcript, if you will, but it says, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have been utterly estranged from God. And then he lists out how they have committed this crime that they are guilty. And it says, be appalled, O heavens, O earth. The people of God have forsaken the Lord. But all throughout the, the prophets, it is not just woe. It is not just destruction. There is the offer of grace. No matter how dire the curses, no matter how awful the judgment, the promises of God is that there is mercy for all who repent and turn to the Lord. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, later in this courtroom transcript, it says, Andrew, if you bring it up for me, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet. And if you read all Isaiah 1, it was very clear that they were guilty. They shall be as white as snow because God is a merciful and gracious God. Though they are red like crimson." and cannot be washed, they will be like wool. The prophets warned of the doom and judgment of God on the sins of people. They laid out the accusations against the people, but they called the people of God back to the way of God and to the truth of God, that they may have the life of God. The prophets proclaim God's truth from Moses to Elijah to Isaiah to Malachi. They proclaimed the way of the Lord, but they also pointed to another prophet, the prophet, the greater prophet, the prophet like Moses. And you're probably already there, but the text we read this morning in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, on page 161 of your, of your pew, it, it rose, says, this is a prophet like Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you, verse 15, a prophet like me, Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. 
Then he says, just as you have desired of the Lord your God at Horb in the day of the assembly. And they said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God and see this great fire and more lest I die. Because they were fearful of the awe and wonder of the presence of God on the mountain. And the Lord said to me, Moses, you are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and speak to them all that I have commanded. There was no prophet in the Old Testament like Moses. He stood unmatched as a mediator between God and the people. And Moses was actually both prophet to Israel and he was also priest to Israel. We will see that next week. His writings in the first five books, the law of God, shaped the people of God because it was God himself that worked and spoke through him. But he looked forward to a day, a greater Moses, a prophet like him that would surpass his greatness and his glory and his influence. It was that day that that prophet would come. And the Moses and the people from generation after generation looked forward to that day. Then that prophet would fully reveal and finally proclaim the word of God and the glory of God to the people. John chapter 6, as we read and see throughout the scriptures that it's the feeding of the 5,000 began to come. And uh, the feeding of the 5,000, that's in all the um, epistles. But I chose John. It says, they gathered them up and filled two baskets with fragments, five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people. From the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said what? This is indeed who? The prophet. This messianic expectation. This prophet who would come. That would have the words of God. That would have the authority of God. That is called. The, and God has through Moses said. Prepared the hearts to listen to the God. This God has come. And some of the people recognized. We've been going through the book of Mark. And shortly we'll see that um, the people would begin to recognize. And then the disciples would go. Go to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9, page 844 of the Pew Bibles. If uh, it's in the New Testament, uh, if you don't know where that is, you can go in your, um, your directory, your glossary in the front. It's, in the, it's the second book of the New Testament, Matthew and then Mark. And if you go to chapter 9, it's a text that we worked through um, a while back. And it says Mark chapter 9, verse 2 through 4. It says, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to the mountain themselves. Remember, where did Moses receive the revelation and the truth and the way of God? On the mountain with the cloud that surrounded them. Now Jesus is taking his disciples and he's going up top of a mountain. And it says, and he was transfigured before them and his clothes become radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And they appeared on them with Elijah and Moses, the symbol of the law of God in Moses and all of the prophets in Elijah. And they were talking with Jesus, a familiarity with him. And a cloud overshadowed them as the cloud overshadowed the the top of Mount Sinai, as a cloud overshadowed the temple where the presence of God dwelt. And a voice came out of the cloud, the voice of the Father who said, what? Verse 7. This is my beloved Son 
what? Listen to him. The very words that God had spoken to Moses that I will put his words in my mouth and you are to listen to him. Now that cloud, the glory of God and the father speaks with the um, with the um, prophets, Moses and Elijah endorsing Jesus and the glory of God overcoming Jesus and the father declaring his uh, approval and glory. The prophet had come. But Jesus wasn't just a prophet. Uh, Islam uh, affirms that Jesus is a prophet. Mormonism uh, affirms that Jesus is a prophet. Many religions in the, around the world affirm that Jesus was a prophet. You can't read through his words and not see their truth and their wisdom and authority. But Jesus was more than just a prophet. He was the prophet. Jesus does not simply reshuffle the deck and regurgitate what's already been said. He doesn't uh, just um, come up with stuff repackaging it. Jesus himself has come from the Father, very God. And he has come and he has revealed the glory of God. The prophet proclaimed the way. Jesus is the way. The prophets proclaimed God's truth. Jesus is the truth. The prophets proclaimed God's life. Jesus is the life. Jesus not only declares the word of God as the prophets did. Moses and Elijah and Ezekiel and Daniel. He is the word of God. He is the the personification of the word of God. Very God, very man. Jesus is the one the prophets were looking forward to, pointing to. He is the fullness, fullest of revelation to mankind. He is the word of God and the glory of God. The book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 I'm still not getting anything, Andrew. Thank you. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, last days being from the the, uh, manger to the return of Christ, these last days he has spoken to us, how? By his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Nothing was ever said like that of of Moses. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Every word and every deed is the word of God. When you have heard Jesus, you have heard the Father. When you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. He is the fullness of the glory of God. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you see Jesus, you're seeing the Father. When you read his words and his deeds, you are seeing the words and the actions and the work of God himself. Why? Because Jesus 
is the prophet who fully and finally declares the truth of God and the glory of God. But the question remains, and I was challenged this week to think through this, how is Jesus my prophet? We can read through and have a very good biblical theology and think, Jesus is the prophet. I can see the connection. I, you know, I see the symbolism in the Gospels. It's clearly Jesus is the prophet. They talked about that, but that was 2,000 years ago. We live in the 21st century. We have iPhones and fancy cars and the Internet. How, why do I need a prophet when I could Google something? Well, I have five reasons. I think we have time. We'll find out. Good thing we moved our service to 1030, not 11, because, you know, we've got to beat the Methodist. One, how is Jesus my prophet? Uh, the first reason is this. Nope. Uh, let me let's re- actually repeat this. Um, Andrew, go to point one. Jesus reveals God's glory. I apologize. Is it there? Number one, Jesus reveals the glory of God. Jesus reveals the glory of God. And that says we are fallen. That's not right. Okay, I think that's, that's point two. I have two number ones. Okay, take my word. Take that off, Andrew. I apologize. Number one, Jesus reveals... Okay, go to, back to number one. Andrew, we are fallen. It's one of those awkward moments when you look at your notes and your notes aren't right. I just realized what I had done. One, we are fallen. Jesus reveals our problem. Yesterday, um, went to Hannah Park, and I conducted the funeral of a, a 38-year-old man who lost his life in the battle of an addiction. And it was very evident by the heaviness of that moment, by the grief of his parents, his children, his fiance, his friends, as they wept. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. I've sat often in my time as a pastor this year beside the bed of people who are slowly dying in the grip of cancer as their body wastes away. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. I grieve because I turn the TV on and I go on Facebook and I see that we live in a world that's full of racism, corruption, pain, pollution, and disappointment. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. Brothers and sisters, you don't need me to tell you this morning that our world is broken. We have been reminded very well this year of 2020 that things are not, like Lenin says, getting better all the time. Sin has its tentacles deep into every aspect of our world, our families, our bodies, and our hearts. We don't need to vote better or educate better or have more money, or work harder, or uh, 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 think our way out of this. Pandemics and natural disasters and political foolishness and social unrest and disappointments and heartache and death have destroyed the idols of our worlds. 
and they have come crashing down. The things that we thought we could trust have slipped through our fingers. 2020 has destroyed our idols with spectacular flair. And often we don't have an answer for the problems in our worlds. But 2,000 years ago, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. And he said these words. In Matthew 1, chapter, uh, 121, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what, uh, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which literally means the Lord saves. He will save his people from their sins. We are not okay. We have a fundamental problem of sin. Every problem we face is because we live in a fallen world. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. But we have a prophet. A prophet that shows us not just the first time we heard the gospel, but every day we have a prophet who shows us how deeply sin has affected every aspect of our thinking, our action, our desires, and our motivation. And sometimes it startles us. And we think, I hope nobody else finds that out. But here is where our prophet comes and says, we are bro you are broken, but I can make you whole. Our prophet declares the way to peace and wholeness. The way all sad things will come untrue is because of Jesus. His de grace dispels the myth that we are basically good. And it impresses on us the reality that we are fallen and we desperately need a savior. And brothers and sisters, every day that we are reminded how much we need a Savior, that's a really good place to be. Because we have a prophet that reminds us that we are fallen, but we have a great Savior, and his name is Jesus. The second area where Jesus is our prophet reminds us and tells us and reveals to us that we're ignorant. But Jesus shows us the way. John Newton, in his hymn, Amazing Grace, expressed in his lyrics the ignorance of our state or his state in our state without Jesus. How do the words go? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Without Christ as our prophet, we will wander aimlessly in the darkness of spiritual blindness, ignorant of the way of God, blinded by sin to the light of God's salvation that shines. Without Christ as our prophet, we cannot find the way and we stumble in the darkness. But Christ is the light that shines in the darkness, leading us to God. He is our prophet. John chapter 8, verse 12, writes it this way. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. He is a prophet that shines his light in our darkness. I love on Christmas Eve, we turn the lights off, except for a few on the stage, and we light the candles. 
And the candles, the Christ candle standing above them all, that light that that gives dispels the darkness as a symbol of what Christ our prophet does. Without the light of Jesus, we are in darkness. With the light that Jesus shines, we can walk safely and our foot does not stumble. Jesus is the prophet that shines the light in the darkness. He is the way that leads us to peace with God. He is the truth that dispels the, 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 our spiritual ignorance. He is the life that breathes spiritual life into our souls. Not just once, but every day. His grace continually shines a light on our path and a lamp unto our feet. He shines the light of God's truth, how we see ourselves how we see our God, how we see our neighbors, and how we see our world. Without Christ's daily prophetic light, we wander from the path of righteousness and fall into the snares and ditches of sin and death. But as Psalm 1611 so beautifully says, you, the Spirit of God, the spirit, the pre-incarnate spirit of Christ that moved through the hearts of the prophets. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that is a really good place to be. Jesus Uh, as our prophet also, Andrew, go to the next one, um, reveals to us that we are guilty. And Jesus proclaims our pardon and our forgiveness. This is why each week we come together and what do we have? Um, Confession of sin and assurance of pardon. Because we have a great high priest who declares that we have peace with God through Christ our high priest. We have a prophet that points the direction to a, a great high priest. Christ the prophet reveals our need for Christ the priest who laid his life down to save us from the stain and the guilt of sin. We live in a world that has, in, in their thinking, in their way of life, has reduced sin to bad choices, to environmental factors, and alternative ways of living. And into this sanitized delusion, Christ the prophet boldly declares his offensive message that we are guilty. The first recorded words of Jesus in the book of Mark are these. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The good news, but also the bad news. We're guilty. You can't have the good news without the bad news first. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Christ the prophet declares a message that cuts against the grain of the world. The world says, follow your heart and to thine own self be true. And Jesus says, repent of your sinful ignorant, selfish heart and believe in the truth of the promises of Christ. Paul, speaking of this in Romans chapter 5, talks about this. He says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. 
And then later on, five verses, where if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Like the prophets of old who declared the guilt and the shame of the people, Jesus Christ, the prophet, offers forgiveness and salvation through himself. Jesus is now the point where we meet. Jesus is the one that saves us from guilt. Jesus is the one that gives us light, life. God's grace gives us life, not just the first day, but every day. Christ the prophet reminds us every day of our need for him and his promised grace. We have been saved from sin's penalty that hour we first believe, but day by day we are being released from sin's power by the grace of Christ proclaiming his truth into our life through his spirit who's working to make us like Jesus. God's grace allows us to hear the voice of Christ the prophet who declared in the book of Matthew, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest from your souls. Christ our prophet declares our guilt, but he declares our salvation and forgiveness that we have in him, our great high priest. Not only are we guilty, not only are we lost, not only are we ignorant, but we're polluted. And Jesus calls us to holiness. Christ the prophet takes on many forms in, uh, in scripture. His words reveal our problem and his word gives, uh, gives us the life of God. He is the good shepherd who gently leads us by his staff and his rod through the valley of the shadow of death. And because of his presence, we fear no evil. He is the comforting spirit who convicts us and corrects us of our sin. He is the trailblazer who goes before us so that we may run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the forerunner and the finisher of our faith. He is the great master sculptor who carefully chisels our heart by the power of his word. Though it hurts, he is forming us and fashioning us into Christ-likeness. He is the great physician who carefully and skillfully cuts the cancer of sin from our hearts. Every day, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, Christ the prophet is speaking truth to your life through the spirit of Christ. For Christ within us is better than the disciples Christ beside them. The disciples didn't understand this when Jesus said, I am going away. And he says, it's actually better that I'm going away because I am sending another comforter, my spirit who will live in your heart, who will proclaim my word to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you like a shepherd guides his sheep in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, 
But the Spirit of God, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit of God, the prophets, Spirit of Christ, the prophet, doesn't do that just one day. He does that every day. Christ, the prophet, speaks through his word. As we pour God's word into our heart, we are learning the language of the Spirit. Paul Miller talked about that in our discipleship group. A great theologian, Zach Anderson, said yesterday, you don't need to, that's Zach right there, um, everybody looking point, um, you don't need to just read your Bible. And I was like, hmm, what is he saying? You need to open the word and hear the voice of God. And that's exactly right. Because often we simply go through the motions and read the words like somehow that we are getting benefits or cosmic brownie points by reading these black letters on a white page or reading these words that are emanating from the screens on our phone. But instead, Christ the prophet speaks through his word as we open up the window of God's word that we may see the glory of God and that these words guide and direct us that as we listen to these words that we may hear the voice of our Savior, the voice of our prophet call us and teach us and guide us and lead us. Not just one day, but every day. The spirit that lives in believers is the spirit of Christ the prophet who through his word brings life and joy and wholeness and healing and conviction and cleansing. And they draw us to the heart of the God who spoke those words. And that is a very good place to be. And then finally, Christ the prophet declares that we are helpless. But Jesus announces a powerful Savior. Christ the prophet reveals our need for Christ the King. We live in a world that is broken by sin. The, the uh, Sin has stained our world, our government, our societies, our families, our bodies and heart. We struggle. And as the older I've gotten, the realize I, I, I realize the less control that I have. I've learned my children, um, my son can not beat me up, but I wrestled with him once and that was the last time I said that season of life is over. Um, yeah, he's real proud of himself right now. Um, and I realized how little control I have. When they were little, I could just pick them up and put them in the crib and said, you'll stay there. And now I realize he can pick me up and put me in the crib and said, stay there. I realize... In my own, I'm hopeless and I'm helpless. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds me of my former state, of all who are in Christ, our former identity. You were dead in the trespasses and sins of which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were hopeless and helpless. We could not save ourselves. But for, uh, Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, Jesus 
Christ our King, for whom and through whom all things were created, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. When Christ the prophet came, he declared that Christ the priest, same guy, uh, just for the record, uh, that laid his life down to bring us in peace with God, and now Christ reigns and rules over his people, and this is very good news, not just the first time, but every day. We were hopeless and helpless, but now we belong to Jesus. We are citizens of his kingdom, sons and daughters of the great king. And Christ the prophet declares us the heart of Christ the king. We were weak, but he is strong. We are prone to wander, but our Savior is faithful. The king who fought and died to rescue his people is the king who rose again and watches over his people. Rejoice a weary one. Those of you who, me being one of them, where 2020 has really worn me down, we have a kind and gracious and generous king. And we have a prophet who reminds us every day that we do not belong to political parties. We do not belong to the the nations of this world. Our identity is not defined in how beautiful we look, how handsome we are, how wealthy we are, how educated we are. Our value is found at the cross that we belong to Christ the King who has conquered death in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. And he has promised us, behold, I am making all things new. And that's a really good place to be, that I belong to Jesus. And I have a prophet that reminds me every day through his word and his spirit that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Ocean Park, as Hodge tells us, we are fallen, we are ignorant, we are guilty, we are polluted and helpless, but we have a great Savior He is a prophet who instructs us, a priest who atones for our sin, and he prays for us, and a king who rules over us and protects us. Rejoice. Jesus, the prophet, who fully and finally declares the truth and glory of God. Those of you this morning who know that, be reminded, be encouraged, seek the voice of your prophet in the word not to get cosmic brownie points, but that these words would give us the language of the Spirit that may, we may be guided by the Spirit of God. And for those of you who say, I know the world's not supposed to be this way. I have no answers. I feel my hopelessness. I feel my helplessness. Heed the words of the prophet who says, Come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And the yoke of Christ is not a yoke of legalistic burden or things that we have to do, but it is the yoke like a life preserver. It lifts the drowning person. Or helium lifts a balloon. The yoke of Christ is light. Because Christ has done the work.
when he declared, it is finished. He was acting as a prophet who was declaring, all on me was laid. All your punishment, all your sin. I was separated so you could have fellowship. I died in isolation so that you could belong at the table of the Most High God. Repent of your sin. Repent of living for your own and for your glory today and all the rest of your life. And trust the promises of God. Not just once, but every day. And that's a wonderful place to be because Christ is our prophet. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you that you did not leave us in the darkness and the ignorance and the guiltiness and the lostness of our sin. But you came when the time was right. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might have adoption, to be adopted out of the kingdom of darkness, to be sons and daughters of the Most High King. Father, I pray that we would repent of our sins one, the first time and every day. And trust the promises of our prophet who says, come unto me and I will give you rest. The first day and every day. In his precious name we pray. Amen.